immortal chaplain's sanctuary. And with those four words, I learned the terrifying truth behind my grandfather's past, the verity of someone who had been here. Not the, the snickering statements of relatives two time zones away. I'd learn why the man I'd call Grandpa had been haunted by the vessel known as the Queen Mary and of the ancient evil that lurked within its bowels. I learned with a story told that the darkness which had plagued my grandfather in his final days, that that same darkness had been making itself known to myself the entire time. Abigail had a look of concentration on her flawless face, as if trying to recall every detail before starting the story. No, 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 not, no, it's not a story, but rather the terrible facts. Her shift had ended. It had been a long day added work to the normal routine. As was the norm for that day, she headed to the Chelsea for dinner, for the soothing bowl of clam chowder that would ease her weariness. It was only after she ordered that she took notice of the kind, older man she had helped check in only a few days before. He had been alone, his only luggage a small bag that could have easily doubled as a carry-on from whatever flight had brought him to Long Beach. He didn't have a suntan, and she... She seemed to recall that he had mentioned Minnesota and its many lakes and cold winters, laughing at her insistence that he had an accent when, according to him, he most certainly did not. <laughs> that was my grandpa. <laughs> yeah, sure, you betcha. That was Canada, by the way. Abigail remembered that he... <clears throat> Abigail remembered that he had praised his grandson up and down, made him walk on water. He's a talented writer, he had said, smiling. Made something of himself. They had talked until new guests waiting to journey back into time and enjoy the authentic and unique experiences offered on this majestic ship made them part ways. But he had been adamant that a, <laughs> that a, a woman of her beauty would fall for his grandson. Imagine my undeniable, undeniable charm, charm and, good looks and stunningly good looks in a, in a younger body. Well... Imagine no more, that's my grandson. He had said it in a joking way, and Abigail had replied with something like, Well, in that case, how could she resist, huh? And with that, he was gone. And she was on her way back to work. She didn't see him again until a few days later. Only that time, he had been sitting there, crying at his table, clutching a rosary so tight. He was begging. He was begging the Lord, pleading to St. Jude, worker of miracles, helper of the helpless, to hear his prayer to help him. 
a lost soul tormented. It was as clear as day. She had approached him and offered an ear and a beautiful smile, but what he had told her caused her worry. What he had shared with her and her alone caused her next few nights to be restless. Why he shared that story with her she didn't know and never would. But it wasn't the story that terrified her. It was the fact that he had believed. And when the story was told, she had believed it as well. Whispers in the Cries Written and performed by Matthew Ewald Produced by Star Chaser Productions The Curious Case of the Arrival and Departure of One Mr. Thetapet Back in the day, once released from her service during World War II, the RMS Queen Mary, known as the Grey Ghost during the war, ferried war brides and children to the United States and Canada before returning to service as a transatlantic cruise ship. During the war brides tour, the ship had picked up her passengers in port and steamed forward, all engines ahead. But it wasn't long afterward, while out at sea, that the reports had come in of three children gone missing. Parents had panicked, and rightfully so, demanding answers. And then the fourth report came in. Yet another missing child. A little boy, last seen playing near the first-class swimming pool area. And the search began. Cabin by cabin, deck by deck. As the minutes stretched on, it became terrifying for all those on board. To the parents of the little ones feared lost, and to those who clenched their own little boys and girls ever so tight, fearing that they may also suffer some unknown fate. Panic became terror when, finally, they found a man sitting ever so quietly, like a true gentleman, in the tight confines of the engine room an immaculately dressed man, wearing a top hat, sitting very calmly, a grin from ear to ear, with four dead children propped up beside him like dolls, their faces smiling with rosy cheeks but eyes contorted in panic-stricken expressions, and as the crew reeled back in horror, the man in the top hat simply sat there, eerily quiet even as they pounced on him, beating him and restraining his bruised and bloodied flesh. Eerily quiet, until suddenly requesting an audience with the captain. He asked as casually as one might say, Good morning, 
The man in the top hat and haunted grin told the captain that he was respectfully requesting another half dozen children. No more, no less. The captain was appalled, letting duty dictate action instead of the rage boiling within him. Who are you? The man replied with only a name. Mr. Thetapet. Not Mr. He made a point of accentuating the fact that there would be no period in his name. And then he repeated the words that he was but a humble collector and that he had a quota to fill. The captain ordered that his crew check the ship's passenger manifest, only to find that there was no one with that name. An unaccounted for. Men were dispatched for a head count. The man with the top hat sat quietly through it all. The manifest held hundreds of passengers, names, dates of birth. And the captain stared at the one man who should not be on board. A stowaway, perhaps. Or something else. The captain did not know. But he certainly would. He'd be damned to find out if it was his last duty as a commander of this ship. To make certain that this man received the punishment he deserved. The man in the top hat went willingly to a cell found at the deepest depths of the Queen Mary until he could answer for his sins. A deep black pit of steel that had held German POWs during the recent war. The man was now in a prison of darkness. Word had spread quickly and the parents of the children who were safe breathed a sigh of relief, but the parents of the children who were brutally abducted demanded retribution. They demanded blood. The parents and those who believed in the justice that should be meted out then and there stormed the lower decks roaring into the bowels, dragging the man in the top hat back into the light. His damnable grin never faded, not even as they beat and tore at him, ripping flesh from bone and finally castrating him and spilling his blood in a torrent of anger and rage. And as the parents and their accomplices for several crew members wanted justice served as well, strung a noose around the man's neck, not yet dead, he smiled and gave a gentle bow. And then there was a sharp crack as he was tossed over the sports deck balcony. The snap of his neck could be heard over the ocean waves that lapped against the massive ship. The line was then cut and his corpse continued overboard, falling and falling to the darkened, cold waters below. No one assembled would ever breathe a word of it. Nothing ever happened. Children had been lost tragically, but justice had been dealt swiftly. And yet, the man in the top hat would become a grinning catalyst. A beacon of despair. No one, not passenger nor crew member, realized that this 
was only the beginning. Randy Conroy's grandfather was a young man then, empowered by the loss and rage of the dead children's parents, their cries for justice heard and acknowledged in the only way he understood. It was he who had led the charge. He had tied the noose, beaten the flesh, and kicked at the bone. He spat in the face of the darkest evil he had ever witnessed, and he had cut the line that delivered that evil back into the blackest depths from which it came. And many, many years later, with children of his own and children of their own, he was still haunted by those violent ends and the fierce end that he had dealt in the name of justice. But there was a price. There was always a price. Something was happening as he aged, his past so vague and long ago. He was an old man now, nearing the end of his life, but something had come for him, something he thought forever lost to the past, a man in a top hat and grin, a darkness tormenting him and claiming his sanity little by little, piece by piece. Randy Conroy's grandfather became obsessed. He came to the Queen Mary for answers to rid himself of this demonic poltergeist which stalked him to the point of madness, but also to warn those who would follow in his footsteps. But upon doing so, the torment became worse. This was long after he had gone to Randy for help, the only one who would believe, but as he cruelly discovered... There was nothing left of that family. He was alone. His own wife looked at him as if he were a circus act, a freak in a cage. A shadow. Until she looked at him with fear at the events that haunted their home, being dragged from his bed in the middle of the night, scratches and bite marks appearing on flesh, lamp and furniture inhumanly thrown across the room by an invisible force. This thing of madness had driven them apart. The love of his life now just as afraid of being in the same room with him as she was before crawling into bed at night. Waiting and wondering what would happen next, praying and pleading that nothing would. Randy's grandfather was the conduit. He was the link. And it was only until hearing Abigail retelling the story my grandfather had once told her that I understood how far-reaching this nightmare was. My uncle... Ken wasn't a drunk out of laziness or escape. He was a drunk to make the nightmare more bearable. When my grandfather had left his home and his wife to save them from such nightmares, he stayed with Ken thus unknowingly inviting another victim into the darkness. And oh my God, did this evil have fun with him. Oh yes, indeed. In the end, my grandfather battled the darkness the best he could, from mental cleansing to therapy, from a type of exorcism to prayer. 
but the darkness was patient, and it held no bounds. It would drive him to spill his own blood, and it would promise that it would achieve its quota, even if it meant taking his children and their children's children. For they would suffer the same fate. And in all honesty, who would say a word about these supernatural events? Who would admit to such things? So the family buried their history, their experiences, just as they would one day bury that once grand man known as Papa. And on that day, they would forever forget his nightmarish past. And on that day, they would never look back. And it was in that moment that he, as a storyteller, would finally understand the given clue that he had been trying to decipher for all those many, many years. Who this Mr. Thetapet truly was. And little did my papa know the answers he so desperately sought were right there in front of him the entire time. Simply never understood. Never unlocked. Never known. A clue deciphered by the young woman sitting at his table. Mr. Thetapet. It was an enigma, she had told him, a riddle within an amalgam, an anagram. Mr. Thetapet, it meant the tempter. It was another name for the devil. Sun deck, starboard side. And this ship is still steaming, Randy. I, I stared at Abigail without blinking. Full speed ahead on oceans of flesh. She finished the tale, but... But not before adding one final echo of a dead man's words. He had been at it. The way he spoke to me. You think it's going to stop for you or anyone else, he asked me. This shit may be dry docked, but a part of it is still out there on those dark waters of the Atlantic. It's been that way for decades. And it'll be that way long after we are dead. That is what your grandfather told me during our last conversation. Someone nearby was telling a group of people to move in closer for a group photo. That's what he told me here on this ship. We sat in silence for a long moment after that. We had moved, retreated from the immortal chaplain's sanctuary and into the, the light of day after I had documented everything that I could of the, the bloody image in photographs and in notes. Um, but this, this, this was... Um, We had 
retreated from the horrid and haunting images of the death and despair that my grandfather had created, and now... Now we found ourselves sitting quietly upon a red bench angled next to the Hollywood Deli and Arcade. We were overlooking the calm blue waters of the Pacific from the sun deck. But I was anything but calm. How, I mean, how could my grandfather have known that she would have seen the blood-created image? How could he have known all that time ago that, the, that, that we would have ever met? How could he have known Abigail Marshall would have followed me, his, his grandson, into the darkness, into the black of hell and shared his story? How? 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 I don't... Was, was it destiny or fate? Faith? Faith, perhaps? Was it a precognitive truth, or was it simply coincidence, happenstance? A stab in the dark, two young souls who just happened upon one another, was, was, was that it? <laughs> was that it? But what I also had to ask myself was what if it wasn't my grandfather orchestrating this quest of mysteries? What if it was something else? I, I had to acknowledge that just as I, I had to acknowledge that if I was a puppet in this nightmare, then who or what the hell was the puppeteer? And could it truly be the devil? I was haunted by the words which had come from her lips and were formed by her tongue. And I knew, I knew that Abigail was still terrified by her own words as well, mortified at the connection that now linked the two of us together. She admitted to me that she had told herself back then talking with the, the seemingly harmless man that it was just a story, but now... She, she didn't know what to believe. She had followed the clues with, with me at her side. What had began as harmless flirtation and the strongest attraction she had ever felt, though this, this part she kept to herself, embarrassed to say as much. It had become something different something frightening. To believe in heaven is to acknowledge hell. Just as I was beginning to truly understand the scope of the horror that was facing me, the two of us had to part ways. Abigail had to report for work and I myself needed to get a few hours of sleep. Because tonight, I had a fucking demon to catch. <laughs> <laughs>